Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale March 23rd, 2022? Yeah, that's right. Yes. We're in 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And I'm Hector Navarro, a.k.a. So happy to be here. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hector. Thank you for joining us and uh, being our third chair, our special guest host for this episode. You, you've already been on the show before, so... You're officially a veteran, an old person hmm. in our world. So well, how do you feel? Happy to be a part of the Two Timers Club. Uh, it is my real true honor. I love getting to geek out with you guys and uh, especially about Marvel stuff. So very excited. Thanks. If you are just joining us on the show, this is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics, where we talk about all the brand new books on sale this week. We're going to give our picks of the week. We're going to give out some awards. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. We're also going to talk about all the comics on sale this week at your local comic shop. We'll tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, including the new Infinity Comics, our scrolling comics, which are friggin' fantastic. Give us your money and subscribe to Marvel Unlimited. We'll tell you what collections are out this week, and we will even have reading club and you know what i'm gonna be honest the reading club is so good it's so big we are stretching it over the next two weeks and i will just say it involves new avengers and illuminati what could it be you'll have to wait and find out later in the episode <laughs> i'm so excited for this conversation it was such a blast talking to tom Brevoort, executive editor supreme and man about marvel for gosh 30 plus years he's wow. he's a ding dang delight and i'm always so glad to talk to him which we will do later in the show but first things first we got to get into our picks of the week hector i like that you came in guns blazing before we started recording saying i want this book i got this book i like this book we shot you down immediately yep. and jasmine yep. took the pick yep. right yes. from under you <laughs> yes because if anyone's going to pick devil's reign x-men number three it was going to be me because it is an insanely packed emma issue yep um if you've been following this mini you'll know that it's been led by emma frost for the most part but this issue not only shows us what she's been up to this whole time but it also shows us like just how badass she is we tend to forget how much power she has and in this issue it's it just shows it we just see it we see her just almost like at a snap of a finger just controlling the entire narrative controlling the entire scene like it is nuts she gets people doing everything from like macing each other it was a bear mace party at one point in this book <laughs> there is a part where she gets these guards to pretty much just like carry her because her feet hurt she pretty much just makes them complete clowns like she turns them all into clowns and her servants and she's just like that's right you guys thought you had control of the situation you don't i love this jasmine you put it so perfectly like Emma Frost is a character who I'm going to be fully honest with you guys. I didn't love when I was a kid. I didn't understand Me. Emma Frost. Hang on. I didn't Me. understand Emma, but I think she's a character who you appreciate more and more as you get older. And in a completely amazing, unrelated thing, for a different reason, I was reading a bunch of Hellfire Club books in the past few weeks. And I kind of went back to some of those initial first appearances, the Claremont Hellfire Club, Emma Frost showing up as the White Queen, Sebastian Shaw, and this just like forming what this weird new, very cool and kind of kinky idea in the X-Men world was. And again, it's stuff I didn't quite understand as a kid. And now rereading that, those issues and the introduction of the Hellfire Club and who Emma is as a person. And it was just a great little cherry on top of my Hellfire Club Sunday that I've already just been enjoying. And then I get this. I'm like, oh, Emma's the best. I love Emma so much. 
Yes. But one of the things we never get to see is her talking to dogs telepathically. Yes. And that happens in this issue. If there is <laughs> one so reason good. anyone needs to pick up this issue, mm-hmm. it is Emma's conversation with two dogs and how amazing it is. It's like that little bit of with Spider-Man in issue number two, the little bit with the dogs yes. in this issue was like, oh, that sold it for me right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's great. Devil's Reign X-Men number three is written by Jerry Duggan with art from Phil Noto. I mean, come on. Dream like, team. Phil Noto's art is amazing. Dream in this book, team. He's just so good. And it's lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. Well, Jasmine, that was your first pick. Hector, you're up. What do you got? <sighs> okay. I have been so enjoying falling in love with the character of Shang-Chi and what Marvel has been doing recently. I have loved, loved, loved the film and the attention that the character has been given. And so my pick is going to be Shang-Chi issue number 10. We have got the amazing team of Jean Luen Yang writing, Marcus Toe artist, Eric Arseniega colorist, and VCs Travis Lanham letterer. This book is so much fun. It is gorgeous. I can't tell you what I enjoy more, whether it's the art, the pacing, the kinetic energy of this book, or the writing, the character dynamics, the back and forth, the humor, the epicness of it. I feel like this is the Shang-Chi book that fans of this character and fans of like even the potential of this character from years, years back have kind of been waiting their whole lives to read. So, so much happens in this story. I loved just jumping right into the vault. Everybody loves when we visit the vault in Colorado and seeing the guardsmen. That's always so much fun. But it opens and Shang-Chi and his family have to decide if they need to save Takeshi from his grandfather or leave him in the vault to be protected in there and kind of obey the law because he's trying to, you know, Shang-Chi is the leader. He's trying to make them a force for good. And it's this sort of constant struggle. Like, like can he do what needs to be done while still playing by the rules? effectively or does he need to sort of bend or break them sometimes for the greater good and i have loved this this saga with his grandfather chieftain zin is so cool and he's a real jerk he's a real bad guy but again it's that thing that shang chi is so good at and has been even from its initial inception which is that familial relationship that struggle between can the apple fall far from the tree do i have to embrace that side of me and It's just really relatable for anybody who, any human being who's ever had a family. It's just like this amazing breath of fresh air whenever I read Shang-Chi. And this one was so much fun. It gives me everything that I think I'm drawn to in a Marvel comic. So that's my pick. I love this book. What did you guys think of Shang-Chi? I've been behind this book since the beginning. I I love it. But I also find it interesting that in this issue, like a couple months ago, we did a reading club with Alan Seppenwall on Immortal Iron Fist. Mm. And... By the end of this issue, I realized like how much of that same vibe this book is carrying. Yes. And it's not just because it's like a Kung Fu book, but it's also because of like the lore that it's bringing into the Marvel Universe. And it's just weaving it into this narrative and it doesn't seem too far off anymore. Like that was one of the things that I've always struggled with, like some of the mystical sides of Marvel Mm -hmm. was it was just like, all right, that's not grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. But reading Immortal Iron Fist and this, I'm just like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Like I can see the dots connected and how this might affect our world and vice versa and why that matters and why do I care? Yeah. Yeah. It, it rules. It's, all the stuff you talked about, Hector, it's, it's got great relationships and family building, solid action. Marcus does wonderful 
emotive characters. He's so freaking yeah. good. Yeah. I highly recommend. Now everybody can read, what, like six or seven issues of Shang-Chi on Marvel Unlimited. Pick up the first trade. Get yep. in on this. Yep. Um, it's Shang-Chi in the Marvel Universe with superheroes for the beginning and then proving that point of like he fits in here and he's so damn good. Go off and see his adventures with his family. And yeah. Uh, I also like our third pick of the week, which is x deaths of wolverine number five could it be anything else this is the big final issue of this 10 issue x event i mean it is an event it has taken over most of the books for this time period if you missed 10 lives of wolverine number five last week that finished part of the story but it all comes to a head here as we've got omega wolverine this wolverine from the future who has been basically come to the past to try to save things but he's been overtaken by the phalanx in him. And so you get a Wolverine who is losing control and is about to murder his family. And even though the Wolverine that this future Wolverine knows how his family died. So he's like trapped inside his own body. You have to like, you see this big, scary Omega Wolverine and it's a great looking villain, but the emotional grist there is so deep and it's so good because we know what's at stake for this Wolverine who's lived for like a thousand years or however many years and he's slashing at his kids and he's the phalanx is like popping out it's like we are phalanx as he's also saying like please stop me please stop me it's heartbreaking uh and of course of course it is brought to us by Mr. Benjamin Percy on the writing side of things who's just done a dynamic job with both of these series. Art by Federico Vicentini on uh, on the pencils. Colors by Dijo Lima. Letters and design by VCs Corey Pettit. We probably have already talked about this in previous episodes, but Federico really does emotive, really wonderful acting through characters' eyes. Even characters who are wearing full masks. Yes. Wolverine, mm-hmm. aka Laura, in here is like I'm looking at a page where she's going, you know, claw to claw with Omega Wolverine. And you can see the fury and the rage in her eyes, even though they're just white and the mm-hmm. mask is covering her whole face. It's really fantastic storytelling. I read it like two or three times just because it's a gut punch when you're watching that fight because it is a family. Yeah. And like yeah. there is so much emotion behind it. The art is stunning. I love my dynamic Art. I love art that feels like it is moving in my mind. And there's a moment involving a boulder and a character saying, you know, (laughs) why work harder when you can work smarter? And the Omega Wolverine slices through it with this amazing slack sound effect. It like shocked me because I'm reading I'm reading the story. I'm getting to this part in the book and here comes the boulder. And when that happened, it almost felt like it moved on the page because the art is so, so fluid and beautiful. I love movement in my art. I love movement that feels like it's animation. And then the last page is a banger and I'm not going to give anything away, but it, it is one of those great moments where we've closed these chapters, but we've opened up a mm-hmm. whole new book going forward. Yep, yep. I'm so excited to see what happens next. Destiny of X, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Think about this. Next week, we've got Immortal X-Men number one, Marauders number one, X-Force annual number one. Then after that, uh, coming soon, X-Men Red number one, Knights of X number one, Legion of X number one, and the return of a lot of our series. It's good times. Whoa. I'm so cool. excited. Very cool. Yeah. Cannot be a better time to be an X-Men fan. And no, we recently 
started teasing the next Hellfire Gala, which is coming fast and furiously yep. in the next couple of months. So Hellfire, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Those are our picks of the week for this week. Um, but before we get into the rest of our weekly floppy comics, you guys want to hear what the award name that we're going to be giving out yes. this week is? Hit us. All right. We're going to be giving out the Lots of Cartwheels and Sexy Dancing Award. <laughs> Hell <laughs> it's it's a great name. And as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, if you find this quote while you are reading your books in your pull list, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list. That's M-A-R-V-E-L-S-P-U-L-L-L-I-S-T or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. P-U-L-L-L-I-S-T at Marvel.com. If you're the first, give or take, Ryan may send you a surprise i don't know we'll figure it out don't worry about it Shh, what was the word? yeah and speaking of those winners um we've got two winners this week one for the award that we handed out a couple of weeks ago which was the damn it now i want a crepe award that was in issue number one of women of marvel and that was discovered by lex pendragon he pretty much tweeted to us and was like i found it but i don't want prizes because <laughs> i'm just in it for the game and i'm like you know what i respect that and in record-breaking time we have the winner of last week's award, uh, which was the Hey, You with the Antlers, which was in the Reckoning War Trial of the Watcher one-shot that came out last week by Dan Slott. It was a Fantastic Four uh, one-shot that was essentially a, a what-if issue, um, and it was the Thing talking to Galactus. He was antler-shaming, but it's okay. <laughs> it's Galactus. That was discovered by Francis Din, who, like like I said, record-breaking time. We've never had someone find it in a week like that. It usually takes a couple weeks. Um, so I'm very impressed. All right. With all that said, let's get into new comics this week. We've got a whole bunch of them for you. Some really good books. Let's start off with Avengers Forever. Number four. Big one here is that this is a cool tie in to Jason Aaron's run on Thor comics. So if you were a fan of Jason's Thor books, this is going to be real special for you. As you can see on the cover, it's got Frigg, Elsev, and Atli, uh, Thor's grandchildren, and they are having a good old time drinking and hanging out with humanity. I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to a blood-covered Simon Williams, uh, a wonder man of this world, who just this great panel of him blood streaming down his face saying, I pray that I'll never have to kill anyone again. I just thought it was a cool moment. It's a very Jason Aaron moment in the best way possible. And I will give a, a second bonus one to the final page, which I'm not going to say anything more about. No, that I lost my mind when I saw I that. Know, I did not right? expect that. <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> um, I also want to give a small award to the fits that the, the three great granddaughters are wearing because each of them are pretty much a different version of Thor's fits from like throughout history. Yeah. And I just got to say that illusives, fire. Yeah. Like I could, I could pull that off today. I feel like do oh, it. it's always fire, always fire what they wear. So yes. good, so good. Next up, we have Ben Riley Spider Man number three, and then this one. It's the third issue of this mini, and it's essentially we're starting to piece together what's been going on with Ben Riley and like how all these characters are returning. Like we we start tracking down who these potential like mystery characters could be. He goes and tracks down some of these characters like. Um, Mysterio, as well as the chameleon, he realizes it's not them. Get the reveal at the end of this issue, but I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to this depiction of spiders that are crawling all over Ben Riley. Um, first of all, they, they they get summoned by a zombie-fied version of Craven the Hunter post Craven's last hunt, 
And then he slowly just starts decomposing into a bunch of little tiny spiders that take over. It gives that same claustrophobic feel of like, you know, being buried alive that we see in that book here. And oh, it gave me chills. All right. Up next, we've got Captain America slash Iron Man issue number five. This is wrapping up a storyline and it is classic Cap and Tony action. I want to give the lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to a moment that involves some of these villains that Cap and Iron Man are kind of dealing with. And uh, the characters are Vox and Prima Donna and Think Tank and Pioneer. They range from super cool looking to a little bit goofy looking, but there's a moment that is very kind of heroic as uh, we're hearing some some sort of narration from our heroes as they take them down. And it gave me a lot of classic Marvel feels is what it did. So I would love Mm -hmm. to give the award to that moment. Cap and Iron Man taking down some bad guys. All right, let's keep it rolling with Demon Day's Blood Feud, which is the final part of Peach Momoko's amazing storyline, her cool, weird reimagining of Marvel superheroes. I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to Halbo. It's the Hulk-ish character in this series. It's a a big ogre looking dude. And in the way that um, he fights and moves and reacts, it's just she's so funny in the way she can depict this big massive character but also in the midst of fighting a like a wolf and a small <laughs> girl and it's brutal and vicious on top of that there's there's wonderful relationship stuff in here between siblings which this issue in particular gave me a very studio ghibli mixed with yes. v- uber violent martial arts anime feels which yes all here for all right uh, next up, we have Devil's Reign's Villains for Hire number three. And I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to the unlikely duo in this book that I now have never found myself rooting for before. That's Toxin and U.S. Agent. Yeah. Don't really like either of these guys, but they, <laughs> I, I want the buddy cop book between mm-hmm. these two guys because I, I was loving it. I was eating this book up. Because it is so funny. Mm-hmm. It's a book that's in the midst of the giant Marvel event. And just getting that level of sympathy makes you, again, it's like it's one of these books where, like Thunderbolts before, is very much like there so you can sympathize with what's going on. Like not everybody is evil here. Like mm-hmm. they are trying to do the right thing, trying to help from within. And I thought that this issue did a really good job at that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, U.S. agent John Walker, he is a guy who I love to hate. I think he is a fascinating character that you can do so, 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 so much with. So I was so happy to see him in this book that he's reluctantly working for Kingpin. It's great. Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, we have got Iron Man issue number 18. And this was a favorite book of mine for this week. There is a wonderful Tony Stark character piece that happens in this story. Also, shout out to Hellcat, Patsy Walker, a wonderful addition to this story, like the unsung hero. But I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to one specific moment, one page where Tony is kind of recounting his life, his origin, the origin of Iron Man. And this gorgeous artwork recreates the first Iron Man armor when he busts out of captivity. And I think it is such an iconic image. I think that The movies have made it more iconic. I think that the original book in 
three was iconic and to have it recreated, I'm always so, so happy. But I believe that this moment of the origin of Tony Stark, anytime we do so, it makes me happy. But this particular page has so much power behind it that I just thought they nailed it. So that's my award for that book. All right, let's move on over to Maestro World War M number two. Holy moly, I've loved all these Maestro series. This book is friggin' fantastic. Could have been one of my favorite picks because Peter David and Herman Peralta and the crew are just crushing it. Yep. Also, you give me older, sort of zaddy-looking Namor just <laughs> being fantastic in here. But I will give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to... The feelings of sadness I got from this book. It actually evoked feelings of sadness and loss in the midst of giant super fights and, and crazy situations and some really great jokes and beautiful, beautiful art. But there's a, mo- a sequence in here which you feel the loss and you feel the rage and you feel everything that comes to a head and like what that means. And I love that we've been able to see the rise of the maestro over these last couple of years mm-hmm. um, from what we initially got, you know, three decades ago in the the book by Peter David and George Perez. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me like love and hate this character even more. Hard to agree. It's such a good book. Next up, we have Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit number four. And I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to a moment that Samir Ahmed does really well. She, she parallels something that we see in the very first issue of Ms. Marvel uh, with this new character, Corrin, who we learn in this issue where she comes from, her background, the alternate world that she's from. And we see her looking up to Ms. Marvel of her world, the same way that we see Ms. Marvel looking up to Carol Danvers on our earth, in our world. And the way that it's kind of unraveled and told it's just really interesting because now we get we know what her motives are and like why she's doing what she's doing in this book while also kind of taking Ms. Marvel's identity, which is really, really fascinating. It's the same way that we saw Ms. Marvel kind of taking on Carol Danvers' identity when she first started off. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of the proof that the best villains, especially in Marvel history, are the ones that are the mirror images of our heroes. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up we have got Savage Spider-Man issue number two. And I'm going to give the Lots of Cartwheels and Sexy Dancing Award to our favorite would-be world ruler, Zemo. He has a moment in this book where he is trying to apologize before he gets viciously mauled by the savage Spider-Man. And he says, is it too late to apologize for the vigorous stabbing? And then he gets growled at in his face. And then he goes, kidding, Zemo does not apologize. And I'm like, that's Zemo, baby. That's Zemo right there. So that's the moment I loved. I'm going to give the award to that moment. That also was going to be a contender for the uh, award name this week. <laughs> Zemo such does, a great line. does not apologize. Yeah, I love it. No. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take everybody to Star Wars land. <gasps> A place far, far away, a long time ago, something like that. That's what the crawl says, I think, because we've got two Star Wars books this week. We have Star Wars Darth Vader number 21. This one is a tough one for me to say anything about, really, because I'm going to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to like swerves upon swerves upon reveals upon like 
you have to give it to G9. I'm sorry. Is G9 like, the big robot that gets sliced in half? Yeah. It is. Yeah, RIP, He goes out, like, RIP. Like, he was like, I'm going to do good. I'm going to be a hero. And then he goes out, like, almost immediately. You know why? Because he was never in any of the original movies. We should have seen it coming. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. very true. Fair oh. enough. But yeah, I, I, I want to give it to all the, like, the little twists and turns that writer Greg Pak puts into this book. It's Greg's run on Vader's fan friggin' fantastic yep and then on uh the other side of the star wars picture we've got star wars dr afra number 19 and i want to give it to another character here i'm going to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to the character kofan faris who they're just terrific and seeing them from like younger going to university and, and how they get mixed up with afra to like their trajectory into the current storyline with yeah. afra yeah and um nasty and fun and, and cool and sad and sweet there's just like a gamut of emotions running through this all right we're, we're gonna leave star wars land for a minute as we go to venom lethal protector number one this book is amazing one because it features the main villain humbug which <laughs> when you're reading you're like this guy's ridiculous but then you quickly realize that he has the one superpower that like is super strong against venom and the symbiote yeah um yeah. but despite that I want to give my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to the sweet tender moments between the symbiote and Eddie Brock. There's plenty of rom-com vibes in this book that I just found myself so enthralled by. And like, there's one particular moment where the the symbiote and, and Eddie are talking about life before we in, in quotation marks, like the royal we. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's recently like gotten back into the dating game, it is such a weird conversation to, to like talk about. It's like, oh yeah, like I had this whole other life before, <laughs> you know, we started talking. Like you don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. The level of potential jealousy that can like come out of that, that definitely comes through with the symbiote. It's fantastic. Yeah, we love a good Venom rom-com. We love it. Mm-hmm. So the last book of the new books that's coming out this week, we have got Wolverine Patch number one. And... I just want to say this book was a delicious treat for me because it gives you these classic 80s action movie vibes that you don't often get too much these days because it is Larry Hama writing, who is a living legend, one of my favorite comic book creatives of all time. And I'm giving my lots of cartwheels and sexy dancing award to this moment right here. Need I say more when Patch is telling his buddy, the pilot, see back at the princess bar, the single malts will be on you. And he jumps out of a plane sans parachute, jumping out of a plane without a parachute into the deep, dark jungle where Wolverine just knows he's just going to land, break an arm. Hell of a way to go, but that's a great way to fly under the radar, literally, so that he doesn't appear on radar. That made me so happy. <laughs> I, I just feel like, how have I not read that moment happen in another Wolverine comic before now? Because it's perfect. Yes. And also like the the details of that scene cuz he's falling and he has a rose in his pocket. Like the de- like I got to give it up to Andrea DeVito <laughs> just because like you see the petals like Amazing. just flying off and it's just the subtlety and like details. She's great. I love, I love it. it. It makes it look just even more intricate. Love Patch. I love when he jumps out of planes. More of that, please. 
All right, it's time to talk about Marvel Unlimited. First up, let's get you excited with some new Infinity Comics. The issues four, five, and six of Moon Knight are in the, the system this week. We've got X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number 27, which is more Declan Shalvey, Nick Roche goodness. A uh, little tease next week is going to be a banger. We're very excited about it. Uh, Alligator Loki is on issue number two this week. And... We've got the final issue of Life of Wolverine Infinity Comics. So that's issue number 10 to go alongside the finale of X Deaths of Wolverine. So read all of that together and then just enjoy it. And the new books to Marvel Unlimited. There's a whole bunch, but some of the highlights include Excalibur issue number 26, which was the last issue of that series. We've also got Star Wars, The High Republic issue number 12 and Wastelanders, Wolverine, issue number one. Ryan, was that a good book? It was a real good book. It's got that little <laughs> little bit of Lone Wolf and Cub vibes in there. It's, Ooh, it's love fantastic. me. Love me some Lone Wolf and Cub. Head over to Marvel.com or get the Marvel Unlimited app and enjoy all of those books new to MU. Yeah, and over in the collections section, we have a couple different books coming this week. We have Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky, To Heaven Through Hell, volume two, as well as Venom by Donny Cates, volume three. But also, I want to point out that Marvel vs. America Chavez is dropping. So if you're someone who's new to that character cool. and is interested in learning more about America Chavez, definitely pick that book up and get familiar with the character. Yeah. She's amazing. I would also like to point out some of the other collections. I'm a massive fan of the Epic Collections line. It's my favorite thing Marvel's ever done. Uh, Carnage, Epic Collection, Born in Blood, and Excalibur, Epic Collection, The Battle for Britain are coming out. So... I'm definitely going to get those because I love me some epics. All right, let's get into our big reading club this week. Again, so big, we have stretched this reading club over the next two weeks. It is so good, so jam-packed with details and behind-the-scenes information and cool perspectives on new Avengers Illuminati uh, that we uh, we just had to keep executive editor of Marvel Comics, Tom Brevoort, on with us for two episodes. It's so good. Uh, Hector, you weren't able to join us for this one, but have you read New Avengers Illuminati? Oh, very much so. And it's one of my favorite books. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of fond, fond memories about that. And um, I talk to Tom all the time, so it's no big deal. I mean, I missed it, but, you know, we chat, we Zoom or whatever. It's cool. <laughs> so it was super cool. Rereading it again reminded me how much I loved it. And then talking to Tom about it even further solidified that so we hope everyone out there listening gets excited go read new avengers illuminati on marvel unlimited go pick up the collections it's only five issues in the limited series one one shot is relatively quick read but you might want to read it two or three times because it's jam-packed with little details especially after our conversations with tom brevoort Asman, it is time for the return of one of our favorite guests here on Marvel's Pull List. It is Mr. Tom Brevoort joining us back on the show. Hello, Tom. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I am great. Good. I'm very excited um, because we are digging into an era of stories, which I absolutely love because this is right when I joined Marvel. It's like coming back home again for the first time again. It's very exciting for me. And Jasmine... We are talking about, of course, New Avengers Illuminati. How excited are you to talk about this? 
I am so excited. Um, just like you, like this is like coming home for me. Like when I think of my Avengers team, this is what I think of. Not the Illuminati, but this era of the Avengers and the new Avengers. Sure. Um, sure. Well, it's it's so long ago now, even though it doesn't remotely feel like it to me. It's been what? This came out in the early 2000s? About 15 years, give or take. This was around 2007, I'm guessing 2006. That sounds right. Let's get the creators in here real quick. Uh, we have writers Brian Michael Bendis and Brian Reed, uh, pencils by Jim Chung, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Justin Ponzer, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And then, of course, Tom, you were the editor of this book. We're talking about the limited series, New Avengers, The Illuminati, but also I wanted to touch on the the one shot that kind of introduced it, which was New Avengers Illuminati number one, and that came out March 29th, 2006. But something that you brought up, Jasmine, is that we actually start to see the Illuminati in the pages of New Avengers number seven. So with that in mind, Tom, can you talk to us and, and let us know how the, the concept for this Illuminati crew came together? Well, it's all pretty simple. Brian had the idea and he didn't really mention it to anybody as he would <laughs> often do until he sent in the script for New Avengers seven. Uh, and so there at the beginning of New Avengers 7, it's the second arc of New Avengers. So the first arc uh, ended with the team quasi put together and having come back from their savage land adventure at the, at, in the second half of that first story arc. Uh, and this one opens with uh, Tony Stark flying out to this abandoned like toy company. Funtime Inc. Yeah, which is where the Illuminati are meeting. Uh, and so, you know, Brian came up with this on his own. I think he came up with it realizing that he would need it as a piece or wanted to use it as a piece for Secret Invasion because he was already thinking about Secret Invasion at this point. Uh, and the fact that there, you know, characters among the Avengers were, were Skrulls. And so I think this was just him putting another piece into place. My guess is that he and Joe Casada, who was editor in chief at the time, probably had a conversation about it somewhere but it wasn't a conversation that I knew about. First I knew about it was when the, the script showed up. I'm fascinated that the first time that, that we get introduced to them is when they're talking about the century. I mean, we'll talk about the one shot in a minute, which I think is a bigger deal because it talks about a bigger known Avenger. Because this is also the time where we start seeing the century come back or like the century be reintroduced to the Marvel universe. And I'm curious like what that conversation was like, like why the century? Well, the century had been reintroduced in new Avengers. I think it was three. Uh, we found him in the, in the raft during the raft breakout. Uh, and he was going to become a member of the ongoing Avengers team, which he did in the course of this arc. So this second arc of new Avengers seven through 10 is the century arc. It's about who the century is and sort of recontextualizing him from the original Marvel Knights limited series, uh, which, which sort of left him in a place and where we, where we pick him up and how he's more integrated into the then modern Marvel universe. And so the fact that they're talking about him is really all set up for the fact that the next four issues are going to be Brian and Steve McNiven doing a, a story that that defines the century and brings him into the fold among the the new avengers to me thinking about this it is only five years between century or even four years since the end of the century that original series oh, and whoa. this new avengers to me it feels like 15 years yeah like same the, the space between it seems so much longer in hindsight yeah um but it yeah it was still relatively fresh um, all things considered. Yeah, but I don't, think, I don't know, like, in some ways, again, for all that that Century Limited series was was well-received, 
it didn't make a lot of impact in that it didn't really leave a mark in the Marvel Universe, so to speak. Like it came out, people were excited about it. They did the, you know, Joe and, and Jimmy Palmiotti and the Knights crew did the whole theater of the mind thing where they pretended it was a real character from the 60s that Stan and, and uh, Artie Rosen had created and all of that. But once it was over, it was over. Like, you know, nobody had talked about, mentioned, or anything the century until he showed up in that new Avengers issue, issue three. That's where I got introduced to the character. Like I didn't know that that miniseries existed until like much later. Yeah, yeah. So so it was one of those things that like it went out and then once it was over, like it vanished from sight. Nobody was chattering about it. Nobody had mentioned it for a long while. So it does feel like a much longer period of time than it actually was simply because it wasn't on the radar in the way that other things ended up being. Fair. I do want to give a little bit of a timestamp to these three things we're talking about. So New Avengers number seven came out July 13th, 2005. Then the one shot that is uh, on the road to Civil War, the Illuminati one shot is March 29th, 2006. And then the New Avengers Illuminati five issue limited series, it kicks off on December 20th, 2006. So get a little bit of a, a sense of the timing there of how this progressed along um so the the team is established in seventh grade stop i don't want to hear anything about that i was in seventh grade when that came out wow thinking about this illuminati team was this exactly the the squad that brian wanted to use from the get-go or did you guys have any discussions about hey let's let's use this character or that character or or maybe not no it's pretty much exactly that uh i sent you the the script for new avengers 7 a little earlier uh, and I think, as you see in that, it's exactly the crew that ended up on the page. And none of it was really surprising in its way in that you're pulling kind of from the big heads of the various areas of the Marvel Universe. Uh, speaking of those big heads, let's uh, just rattle them off real quick. We have Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, Namor, Black Bolt, and Professor Xavier. So, yeah, really covering most of the hero world. I, I don't know that there's anything we would need yeah. from there. You could have argued that Iron Man could have been swapped off for somebody else. Like if Captain America was there, you wouldn't have blinked. Uh, although it fits Tony better uh, in that it's a clandestine secret sort of a thing. Uh, and he as, a, as the head of a company and industrialist and so forth, it kind of fits the makeup a little bit better than Cap would. But there are other characters in the Avengers world that could have substituted for Iron. Yeah, I feel like Cap would pull a Black Panther and walk out and be like, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. He did, didn't he? <laughs> he didn't... It was a later like story. That was the Jonathan Hickman... Infinity, uh, right? New Avengers leading up to Secret Wars. Yeah. But I love that that one shot starts off with Black Panther. Like, they're in Wakanda. He gathers everybody and like nobody really knows what's going on. He's just like excited to see everybody. At one point, he even offers... Doctor Strange to hang out with like some of the high priests in Wakanda and then all of a sudden the ball just gets dropped and he's just like all right guys I'm gonna leave you I don't want a part of any of this I think it's a terrible idea that put a smile on my face because like I do think that Black Panther is like one of the smartest in the Marvel Universe and for him to just be like I'm out makes perfect sense uh, I want to talk about the rest of the creative team for this one shot it is drawn by Alex Malev, uh, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, colors by Dave Stewart. The issue itself has the big the road to civil war on the cover because there's a very prominent discussion in here about the superhero 
or super was it superhero superhuman superhuman registration superhuman registration act is correct so in, in terms of the planning for Civil War and the, the ideation, the conversations, was this um, Illuminati one-shot part of those discussions? Definitely so. Yeah, and Brian's part in Civil War. Yeah, basically, Brian writes for Civil War more or less the lead-in, which is this Illuminati one-shot, and the aftermath, which is the one-shot with Captain America and, and Tony, with Cap's body on the slab and Tony talking to it. And those were figured out more or less while we were building the structure of this, because Mark Miller was going to write the core of Civil War, and Brian is the, was the main Avengers writer. Uh, I think Brian certainly saw this as an opportunity to further establish the Illuminati concept by doing this one shot uh, and being able to reveal more of their history and backstory and put some pieces in place that he knew he was going to need to do Secret Invasion eventually. But yeah, it was all because the Hulk story where they at the very end they sent him into space most of that was done and, and even drawn uh, and it was only like the last page or two that we tweaked you know, you know in the original version of that story that Daniel Way wrote Nick Fury sends the Hulk off to this satellite in space to deal with something a science experiment that's gone wrong some problem and in the original story he would have just come back and, you know, in the version of the story that we published, he's up there and the Illuminati, like, blasts the satellite off into space to, to send it, you know, to the exile planet, but it ends up going as a car by accident. And they have this broadcast where they, they say to him, you know, sorry, we're doing this to you, but you're too dangerous to stay on Earth. Uh, you know, have a, have a good life. Good luck to you. And so, you know, a bunch of the books that were done here in the road to Civil War uh, side of things. Most of what was in them had been figured out in at least the broadest strokes at that get together uh, and then were, uh, you know, laid out for people in those individual issues. Those, there were a couple of fantastic four issues uh, involving Thor and the Hammer and Dr. Doom uh, and the Amazing Spider-Man issues with uh, Spider-Man and Tony Stark and the act uh, being brought before Congress and, and, and a few different things. Blows my mind how many things this storyline sets up um, that come to fruition like years later. Like we're already talking about Civil War. We're talking about uh, Secret Invasion. We're talking about, you know, World War Hulk. I know that Brian Michael Bendis did Secret Invasion. He was the main Avengers writer for Civil War. I know there's also like the the story that you told us about World War Hulk being like the major event that year, but it ended up getting sidelined because of Civil War. Yes. Like, was he just connecting pieces or again, was this like the plan? Coming out of this, this was effectively the plan. Like we okay. knew all these things were going to be there uh, and we didn't know exactly 100% when every single one was going to fall. But when this one shot was done, Civil War was in production at the same time. You know, I was working on Civil War One at the same time I was working on Illuminati, you know, number special number one. Um, so, so we knew those were going on and, you know, somewhere else in another editorial office, Mark Panisha and Greg Pak and, and, and his guys were working on the first issue of Planet Hulk and finishing up the Daniel Way issues of Hulk that, you know, sent him to Sakaar. Uh, you know, the, the one that was more secretive was, was Secret Invasion, because still really at this point, only Brian knew that he was laying those raindrops down for himself. Some of the material in this book doesn't really have a whole lot to do exactly with what's going to happen in, in Civil War. What it actually has to do with is stuff that's going to happen much further ahead. Right. But that's true of a lot of a lot of things that Brian would write. It's like just planting the seeds. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I particularly love in this one shot Alex's and Brian's, both of them, their depiction of Namor. Just love me some Namor. He feels exceptionally <laughs> Namor-esque throughout this issue. He's like extra hot-headed. There's that one panel where things are escalating towards the end of the issue when they're talking about the Registration Act and Namor is just grinning and smiling and he's just eating it all up. I absolutely adored <laughs> that panel. It just looks so much fun. It seemed like they were having a blast doing this story and, and playing around with the dynamics of these characters. Uh, well, for sure. That depiction of Namor was divisive when this came out. Uh, and I think the reason was, it was not, not so much the, the, the way the character acted, but the way the character looked, the way he was illustrated, the way Alex drew him. And some of that is, speaking plainly, uh, you know, Alex took a lot of uh, photo reference of himself uh, when he was trying to hit particular expressions and things for Namor. And so Namor in this book looks a lot more like Alex Malev than a typical Namor does. Uh, <laughs> if you can get past that, you're fine. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very Brian sort of character moment and interaction. Like most of Brian's best moments tended to be uh, like this, a bunch of characters in a room having conversations and, and pushing and pulling and bouncing back, uh, you know, uh, against one another. Um, so this is very much uh, in his wheelhouse. Pushing is putting it lightly when Namor like punches Iron Man halfway across the globe. <laughs> like, yeah, that was yeah, my that, favorite scene. It's not like that wouldn't have happened in a, in a Stan Lee comic. Oh, I know. I'd love it. Speaking of, you know, you talk about Brian doing great with having characters converse together, but I think it's also he excels when he's paired with other great artists, such as Jim Chung, who he's with alongside Brian Reed when we start to get into the Illuminati limited series. Uh, and in that first issue, I've reread this one, I think, three times recently. Um, and in this issue, you have this big double page opening and then the third page of the issue is this full page splash of the Illuminati popping into a scroll warship. And man, that's a beautiful damn page. <laughs> you know, Tom, you've been doing this for a long time, but you still got to, there's got to be something exciting when you see a page like this come into your inbox, or maybe back then you open a FedEx box and there comes a, 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 a... <laughs> no, it was, it was still the inbox. Even, even then we were faxed. We weren't, carving them out of stone or, or uh, <laughs> we still use more or less modern tools. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Jim Chung is terrific. At this point, he had done Young Avengers, like the first uh, iteration of Young Avengers, those initial 12 issues with uh, Alan. Uh, I think Brian was certainly hungry to work with him whenever the opportunity arose. Uh, and this seemed like a, a good use of Jim's skills and talents. He's a great superhero artist. He, he, he gets the scale. He can do the smaller, more personal stuff too, uh, but he definitely delivers when, when you give him big things to throw. When you say like he, he can work on those small personal moments and details, like I immediately think of Black Bolt's expressions. The page right after that splash page that you're talking about, Ryan, has like a great moment. Yep, with his, where you see Black Bolt's eyes and it's just like, you can't see the rest of his face. You only see his eyes and you know exactly what he's feeling and what he's thinking in his head and like, Oh, right. He's so good. Well, some of that's the combination of Jim and Brian. You know, Brian typically would call for shots. And one of the secrets of what Brian did and what made his work work in his comics is that often, like with a screenwriter, 
you know, the panel description that he would give to Jim wasn't about necessarily what Black Bolt looked like, but more what Black Bolt is feeling or what Black Bolt is thinking about. Uh, and so that's what Jim is trying to communicate and, and draw. What he probably did say is Black Bolt, you know, makes a gesture or responds, essentially communicating this or feeling this. And that's what Jimmy, you know, illustrated from. It wouldn't have been just simply shot of Black Bolt, shot of Namor, shot of, it was always about what's going on inside the person's inner life. And that's not even necessarily going to match with what the dialogue is. Right. Um, I wanted to talk about the eyes for a second. We brought up the way Jimmy Chung draws eyes. And it's something that Jasmine and I think a lot about as we talk about every book every week and different acting and expressions and stuff. And Jim definitely is really does some wonderful acting with eyes and angles. I think for me, one of my favorite artist who draw eyes and get expression out of them is Joe Casada. He does and he did a lot of a lot of sort of exaggerated expression in his figures. And again, like everybody else, he uses a lot of reference. He's in front of a of a mirror making weird faces that he can then, you know, duplicate in, in, in front of him on, on the page and, and exaggerate a little bit for effect, bend the features so that the uh, the emotion is a little more extreme. Before we continue, I, I do want to talk about what happens in this issue. This is a response to the Kree Scroll War, right? Uh, yes, yes. So they're responding to the Kree Scroll War, and they pretty much teleport themselves to this Scroll warship, and they essentially blow it up. They pretty much tell them, like, "Hey, leave us alone, leave us out of it, and if you don't, we're gonna blow you up." They do it. They try to escape. In that moment, they actually end up getting captured, and that's where I want to talk about next because the stuff that both Jim Chung and Brian Michael Bendis come up with like to torture some of these heroes is <laughs> wild particularly Mr. Fantastic being like stretched in all different directions and like in a weird contraption <laughs> right and my favorite part is Namor being under a heat lamp essentially being like dried out and in, <laughs> in his scripts he writes I want it to look like the last scene in, in the Spongebob movie where Spongebob and Patrick are essentially like getting dried out on a tablet under a heat lamp and I'm like, that that is perfect. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> Namor is SpongeBob. <laughs> Brian had a lot of ideas for things. My favorite part of the whole the whole torture thing, which is a strange sentence to say, but my favorite part <laughs> of the whole torture sequence is yes, I love the great ideas of how to torment these amazing heroes, but the dialogue from the scrolls as they're they're basically like mm. science experimenting and part of them are like you want to get a coffee after this yeah this is going great um and like there's just <laughs> this this casual but like funny very dark quirky conversation happening between all the scroll scientists through this which is we don't get a lot of that that side of the scroll community so to speak yeah yeah well i think that's i mean it's the same sort of way you might get a scene like that among hydra guys or aim guys mm. these days that more of our creators, you know, since Brian, uh, you know, tend to think about them as, oh, look, they're just guys like anybody else. And so, like in any office situation, you know, there there are bosses and then there are their workers and they're concerned about, you know, whatever, what their 401k is doing. And when, when their vacation is coming up, when they get their coffee break, you know, Seriously. how good the Danishes are going to be today in the, in the scroll <laughs> cafeteria or whatever, for lack of a better term, it humanizes them. Yeah. It, it it scrollizes them in Scrolls. in a in a way that makes them a little more relatable 
than just sort of, you know, generic space alien dude, bah, I will conquer your planet, you know, number seven. My favorite piece of dialogue that comes out of this is when they're working on Namor, or one of the scrolls is like, they refer to them as homo superior, and then the other scroll scientist is like, superior, and the other guy's like, well, you know, to a human. <laughs> right. Thinking about those conversations and this issue as a whole in the context of the broader plans for secret invasion, I think makes it juicier and makes it more fun and, and adds a whole bunch of layers. This issue, as we mentioned, came out at the end of 2006. So obviously the thoughts around secret invasion, as you've mentioned, Tom, um, and the scroll plans have been in Brian's head for quite a while, but we don't really see a lot of the other scroll stuff, as far as I remember, hitting in the other books in the Marvel Universe until New Avengers 31, unless there's stuff beforehand that I just don't recall. Again, there's stuff, but it's not overt yeah. stuff. Yeah, New Avengers 31 comes out in June of 2007, and that's um, there's a two-parter in which the New Avengers are, are fighting the Hand, and Echo is, is saved by the New Avengers, and she kills Elektra. Spoiler alert. And uh, Elektra is a scroll. Which sets off that, that, like, that that's you know a huge moment for everyone, really spiraling everything towards secret invasion, which still takes a little bit of time for us to get to that point. Do you recall if we were talking about bigger scroll plans at all when this Illuminati series came out, or was it just like letting people enjoy the story and go forward? I don't know about when we say we. I don't know if the royal we were talking. But by this point, certainly Brian and I were talking about it. And Brian had told me about what was what he was building to in, in Avengers. And so, you know, going into this first issue of Illuminati, this is definitely all there to set up secret invasion stuff. The fact that the, the Illuminati get captured here and some of their DNA is taken is the basis for all of the later Super Scrolls that get used in Secret Invasion. And so that's all deliberately done here. That wasn't a case of just randomly planting seeds. That was done with us knowing there'd be a story. At that point, we thought it was a story that was going to be in uh, New Avengers and then maybe Mighty Avengers, the, the sister book. But it ended up being a bigger event than uh, we had thought. But we knew doing this issue that, yeah, this is setting up for that. And a bunch of things in these five issues are just set up for future events. I don't know if they're all quite as concrete as this first one. I'd love to like talk about that more because I was about to say that like I love that that book ends this series really nicely. It's the beginning and the end of their arc, but then it launches right into Secret Invasion. But in between, in the next four issues, we get all these moments that the Illuminati have acted throughout Marvel history. We see them dealing with the Infinity Gauntlet. We see them talking post-Secret Wars. We see them talking about Marvel Boy, which... I loved, I love that issue. And then finally, we come back to the secret invasion of it all. I guess I'm curious, less so the Infinity Gauntlet and Secret Wars, because I know that they like play a huge role in, in like the history of Marvel Universe, but like why Marvel Boy? Like why were these particular Well, plots the, I mean, the answer chosen? with Marvel Boy is pretty simple because we were going to bring him back in and bring him into New Avengers. And we, we did, uh, you know, he got a new identity in the course of that. He was in Dark Avengers uh, he became the protector at a certain point that he rolled over into Avengers. He was another piece. One of the things Brian was pretty good at was finding pieces of these characters that had been in, in things that had caused a little bit of a stir or gotten a little attention or whatnot, and then sort of fallen by the wayside, you know, largely because rightly or wrongly, there tends to be a feeling among creators quite often 
that certain characters that are originated by people, by particular creators, are sort of the property of that creator. And so, uh, you know, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee did the century and nobody else did anything with the century because they figured that's those guys' thing. And if there's going to be more, they're going to do it and they'll want to do it. And, and consequently, for five years, nobody did anything with the century until finally, you know, Brian said, OK, I'll do century in, in uh, New Avengers. And that suddenly popped him again. Marvel Boy was another one of those. Marvel Boy had been in the limited series that Grant and, and J.G. Jones had done. Uh, and that was like even earlier than the century, 1999, I think. And nobody had really touched that character since. And we brought him back during Civil War. We brought him back in Young Avengers and Runaways. But even there, like we had sort you know, Zeb sort of set him up in a place there, but he wasn't at the center of things. It was really just sort of, hey, he's, he's there. There wasn't a book that Zeb could then propel him into. So I think at a certain point, as we were looking for people and characters got talked about, it's also no coincidence that these were both Marvel Knights characters, because as Joe would talk about stuff, these were both books and characters that he'd worked on in an editorial capacity and had a lot of you know, remembrance for and a lot of connection to. Uh, and so he would be quick to suggest them as we were talking about things. Hey, wouldn't it be cool? What about that character? What if we use that character? Not in a you have to do it way, but in a um, throwing out ideas or throwing out pieces for the story we're building. What about this? What about that? Uh, and Brian was pretty good at, at latching on to them. So uh, again, at a certain point, we decided he decided he wanted to use Marvel Boy in Dark Avengers and you know Avengers thereafter. This is really just setting that all up, and this is why by the end of that fourth Illuminati issue, as I remember it, they sort of present him with a choice, like it's you know it's time you have to kind of decide where you're going to be and what what you're going to do and what side you're going to fall on, and then when we bring him back in. And I'm forgetting right now where that was. He plays a, a, a fairly sizable role in Secret Invasion because the virus takes down the prison he's in, um, where he's warden, and then he he sees right. Mar the scroll Marvel and gets the pep talk. Oh yeah! And he has this big moment where he drops in like a like an atom bomb into the fight and really like helps turn the tide. Right, right. And and this is all there in the service of setting up that moment. You have to choose. Here he is making the, making the decision. I'm going to do this and I'm going to be this kind of character. I'm going to take control of my life and I want it to go in this direction. It was definitely you know, designed as a one-two thing that Brian was building. That issue was just the one. Uh, Secret Invasion ended up being the two. Once again, big thanks to Tom Brevoort. But if you liked hearing him talk about New Avengers Illuminati with us this week, then you got more in store next week. We'll join back in on that conversation for the conclusion to it. Then that's it for us now. Hector, thanks so much for being here this week. Thank you again for having me. All right. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara mcgurk Allison, and Hector Navarro. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And actually, uh, back in the day when, when Brad was a professor, he had an extracurricular activity and he was teaching a class about cartwheels and sexy dancing. Um, he taught it for about four years. Um, it was really great. A lot of superstars came out of that, that class. That's what I've heard. I've heard that Lady Gaga mm -hmm. came out of that. Yep. Um, Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rihanna. Yeah. I'm not just, I mean, just, wow. just a few names. I mean, Brad. Yeah, not a, anything big. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, good for Brad. Yeah. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. 
I'm Hector. And this is Marvel. Your universe.